Look at verse 1, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the dream of the king his dreams. So he calls in all these, all these magicians, conjurers, sorcerers, these guys that were supposedly had some sort of supernatural powers to make things happen and to discern and, and all this. He calls them in. And they stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a crazy dream last night. And my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. The Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic and said, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants. And we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretations, you will be torn from limb to limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. So they said, just tell us the dream. We'll tell you what it means. And he said, no, because you can make something up. I want you to tell me the dream I had. They're like, what? And if you don't do it, I will tear you limb from limb. And I read today, actually, that one of the ways they would tear people limb from limb. It wasn't, he wasn't just being like dramatic. That's something they would literally do at that time. They would take four trees like out in the woods, four trees, thin trees or whatever. And they would, they would bend them in like this and they would rope them together. And then they would tie people to those trees. You guys understand what I'm saying? And then they would cut the rope. And whenever the trees back in place, it would rip their legs and arms off. So he wasn't just like being, you know, crazy. Well, yeah, he was being crazy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's crazy. I read that and I thought, I'd like to see that in a movie. <laughs> because that would be cool. We can pull that off with CG. Okay, sorry. But if you declare the dream and its interpretations, you will receive from me a reward and great honor. If you, don't, if you can't do it, I'm going to rip you in half. If you can do it, I'm going to give you rewards. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretations. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretations. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time. And as much as you have seen the command from me is firm that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. I'm going to cut you in half. For you have agreed together to speak lying and and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. I know what you're doing. You're stalling. It ain't going to work. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and they were wigging out. They said, there is not one man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. And as much as no king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of the magicians, conjurers, and Chaldeans. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Okay, so I'm reading this, and the first thing that pops into my mind is, man, these guys can't catch a break. At the end of chapter 1, things are going pretty smooth. They were found to be 10 times brighter than everybody else. They had some favor. King Nebuchadnezzar liked them, personal, personal advisors. It's going really good. And then all of a sudden, 
Nebuchadnezzar has these dreams and there's a crisis. You guys see, you see the dilemma? There's a crisis. And then today I was thinking about, wow, I have a feeling that we are about to learn something tangible, something beneficial about how to walk through a crisis. Can I ask you a question? How many in, you, uh, in here have ever walked through a crisis? Raise your hand. Raise your hand higher. The, the higher you go, the worse we know the crisis was. Do I need to go get some ladders? Yes, we've all walked through a crisis. We don't like it. And nor, have you ever noticed that those crises usually will come out of nowhere during seasons where things are going pretty smooth? And it's like, whoa, oh man. And some of us even walk around in seasons of peace wondering when the next crisis is going to happen. And we begin to fret based upon something that hadn't even happened yet. It's crazy. My wife talked about that several weeks ago. It was a great sermon. I want to talk about that tonight because these four boys, specifically Daniel is the focus, teaches us something about how to handle a crisis. You guys know that I like to give a sermon in a sentence. Just one sentence that if you nod off or I veer off, at least you walked out with that. Okay? Here's my sermon in a sentence tonight. A crisis doesn't make a man but it will reveal who he is. So write that down. A crisis doesn't make a man, but it will reveal who he is. And I was thinking today about just about three very specific big time crises that have happened in my life, or at least I perceived them. A couple of them were really crises and one was just a perceived crisis in my own life. And I didn't function very well during those three. Those crises, is that how you say that plural, babe? Those crises exposed areas in me that were weak, that were frail, that were weak, uh, even dark. And I thank God for them because his grace got me through them. Amen? And at the other end of them, because I belong to the Lord and I submit to his Holy Spirit in my life, I'm different. It didn't shape me into something ugly. It shaped me into something a little more Christ-like. Amen? I want to encourage you with that. A crisis doesn't make a man, but it will reveal who he is. So we're going to read through quite a bit more of this. And as we go, I'm going to give you six things, six, uh, six ways God's remnant should handle a crisis. Okay? So write these down as we go. And I'm going to read fast, but you guys are okay. So in verse 14... Remember, it says that they came and they found Daniel and his friends to kill them. They came to Daniel and Daniel replied, verse 14, Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, whom he, whom, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, uh, For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? So, I mean, he's probably, you know, doing needlework in his, you know, he's just chilling out. And all of a sudden he gets this report, uh, I got to kill you. Daniel's like, I mean, if he came to me and said, um, so yeah, we got to kill you. I would have been like, so why is this situation so urgent? You know what I mean? I'd have been like, hey, what's that? You know, now taking off. I'd be gone, Babylon. I'd be going back to somewhere. But look at him. He's all, he says, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king, Nebuchadnezzar, that he should be given time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. 
And he would have had a protocol. It's not like he just barged in there and said, hey, Nebby, we got to talk about this. He, there was a protocol that he would have went through to, uh, to have FaceTime with the king. But he did. He goes in and he says, hey, could I have some time to figure this thing out? And notice that the guys were saying, the Chaldeans and, and those magicians and sorcerers, they were saying, tell us the... Tell us the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation. Daniel comes in and says, hey, if you'll give me some time, I'll tell you the dream and the interpretation. Don't you love that? He's like, I'm already 10 steps better than those guys, 10, whatever. Okay, so the first thing I want to tell you, when, when, when you face a crisis, how the people of God, people that are faithful to him and his word and filled with his spirit, the first thing that you do when handling a crisis is you respond with peace from God. You respond with peace from God. Notice Daniel's just like, okay. He didn't point and run like Tony Herring would have done. He said, tell me what's going on. What's the situation? He requested of the king that he would have a little bit of time. A few scriptures. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, that, Peter says, you can cast all your anxiety on him. I doubt that Daniel was not going, oh no, this isn't good. I'm sure he felt the weight of the crisis. It's just that he had peace because he knew that you can cast your anxiety on the Lord because he cares for you. Isaiah 26, 33, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. We've already learned that Daniel had a steadfast mind. Amen? Of course. Galatians 5, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It goes on with a few more but one of the fruits of the Spirit, and we know that, that um, Daniel had the Spirit of God working in his life. Psalm 29, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Are you hearing what I'm saying? These are things that the Scripture declares for those who follow the Lord. That he blesses his people with peace. When crisis comes our way, even if it's out of the blue, our first response doesn't have to be cray-cray. Our first response can just be peace. We can respond. And you know there's a difference between responding and reacting, right? Responding saying, oh, tell me more about this situation. Reacting is, look! <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't react. You respond. Because reaction is usually out of, out of fear. Paul said in Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. As members of the body, you were called to peace, right? John 16, 33, Jesus said, I've told you these things. He was telling them about all kinds of crazy stuff that's going to happen in the end times. He said, but I'm telling you these things so you'll have peace. So you'll know ahead that you'll have a steadfast mind. And when those things start, when it starts becoming tumultuous, you will know what's going on and you will have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You've been blessed with the ability to have peace. And then, of course, Paul in Philippians 4 says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You don't get the situation. I'm sure he was like, no, what is happening? So you're saying King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and now he wants to kill all the Chaldeans. Okay, can you tell me more about this? It doesn't matter the situation. My peace transcends anything, any level of understanding I need. I have peace. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. So the first thing is respond with peace from God. I hope that's helpful. I mean, seriously, because crises, they come into our lives. And, and you know, and we, sometimes we're just not even ready for them. But do you know when that comes, can you decide ahead of time when it comes? 
I'm not going to freak out. And yeah, you may have to talk yourself into it when the crisis happens. I won't freak out. I won't freak out. I won't, you know, how many of y'all had to do that? I knew that. Peace. Respond with peace from God. It says in verse 17, let's keep going. Then Daniel went to the house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, about the matter so they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning the mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. The second thing is, when crisis comes your way, request from God in faith. Just go to God and make your request known. Right? Isn't that what scripture says that we are able to do? Prayer, supplication, we can make our requests known to God. The guys didn't want to be destroyed. We read it right there. So they went to God. First Chronicles 16 says, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Very similar to what Paul says in Ephesians 6. This is for the believer. You guys hear what I'm saying? These are things that we are able to do. These are the things that faithful remnants do. So we have to recap these things. We have to remind ourselves with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. That's what Paul tells us. Doesn't matter what the situation is, it's okay to pray for yourself, it's okay to pray for your situation. Do it at all times. And when you do it, do it in the Spirit. First John, John says, This is the confidence that we have before Him. That, here's our confidence, here's the confidence, here's what we got, here's why I can be confident. Because I know when I ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Okay, we could stop right there, drop the mic, and do a happy dance. Do you guys hear that? With confidence, I know that anything I ask in his name, he's hearing it. The outcome or the answer may come in a different time that I think or a different way that I think, but what I can be confident of is he hears it. Is that good news or not? Yes. Everybody awake? I can have you get up and do a happy dance if you want, but I have a feeling you won't be too happy about it. James 5 13 through 15, this whole great section right here, it says, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone facing a crisis? Then he must pray. It also says, is anyone cheerful? He must sing praises. <laughs> Goes on to talk about how the prayer offered in faith will restore someone who is sick. When you anoint them with oil and, and pray for them, if it's a prayer offered in faith, right? Because a request from God in faith that it will actually Bring healing to that person. Then it says that, that great principle for prayer that we all have in our heart, that the prayer of a righteous man has great power to prevail. Right? The prayers of a righteous man accomplishes much. These are things that we have to keep in our, uh, on our, in our tool bag. It's like we're walking around. we got these things that God has given us. And man, the church is just lousy at using them. The church walks around in a state of crisis more than the world does. And they're the ones without God. We're the ones with God. Amen? We got to begin learning how to handle these crises. Why? Because we're a remnant. We're faithful. We're children of God. Born of the Spirit. Right? I'm getting happy. Right here. Right now. Psalm 102. He has regarded the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. Listen to me. The Lord has not despised your prayer. I had this moment in worship where I felt like someone during that reckless love song was excited about the lyrics that we were singing. 
over, oh, the overwhelming love of God. He, he, you know, leaves the 99 to go chase the one. You guys know what that whole song is written about. It's when Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee to uh, set free that demoniac, the one that had legions of demons. You guys remember the story? And if you know the story, first of all, they had to go through, talk about a reckless love. They went all, they just kept going across there, even though the storms were in wind and it was tumultuous, it was crazy out on there. But he's like, we're going over there, boys. And he gets there, sets this guy. And I even thought in worship, someone may be thinking, God, he would never do that for me. I mean, all of my demons, all, my, all of my troubles, all of my sins, all of my, I'm like, you have nothing on this guy. This guy was like running around naked in the catacombs. You've never done that, have you? You know what? Don't answer that. <laughs> Because it could get crazy. But here, if you know the story, listen. As soon as Jesus was done setting him free, he goes back across the shore. It's like his one item of business was to set that one guy free. Don't you love that? He doesn't despise our prayers. He regards the prayers of the destitute. Amen? So you can make your request from God in faith. Let's keep going. It says the next thing, it says, uh, um, it says in verse 19 that the mystery, they sought the Lord in prayer, and it says that the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So he got, he got the revelation of the dream. Like, he, uh, he, oh, I just got the dream and the interpretation. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of the Lord be blessed forever and ever. I tell you what, for the sake of the time, you can read that on your own. But he goes into this big old song, breaks out in this this whole dialogue of praise to God. Bless you. Thank you. You're awesome. You're the bomb. All those appropriate things that we say to the Lord. He answers our prayers, right? Here's the third thing I want to tell you. When God answers your prayers, when you see him work, there's one thing that we have to do that many don't. In fact, 90% potentially, according to Scripture, don't. And that's turned back to praise Him. You guys remember the story of the lepers? God heals 10 of them. But only one was like, I think that guy did that. And he turns back, falls down and worships Him and praises Him. We forget to do that. As soon as God does answer our prayers, because I believe he, He answers so many prayers... And we usually know it, but we forget something. And that's to give him credit for it. Sometimes we'll even chalk it up to some sort of coincidence or whatever rather than looking at it as God just worked a miracle. And we got to turn back to praise him. That's exactly what Daniel just did. He revealed the vision. Daniel's like, y'all, we got pause and get crunk with praise. And they did. And you can go read those words on your own. Return to God and praise. Verse 24 says, therefore Daniel went in to Ariok because he had the, he had the vision now. I mean, he had the dream whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as followed. He says, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon, exclamation point. Take me into the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Ariok hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. He says, I have found a man among the exiles of Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, Daniel, Belteshazzar, 
Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Okay, big and loaded question. I mean, Daniel just heard from the Lord, but he also knows what Nebuchadnezzar's able to do. And let's go get some trees, bend them together, and rip people's limbs off. Right? You, you know, I thought about how even sometimes when we hear the Lord or, or we, we hear the Lord speak or we get an answer that we're looking for or whatever, when we're faced with a little bit of pressure or a little bit of uh, whatever, how we can somehow put all that aside and start trying to work things up in our own head and our own strength of trying to figure out ways. It's like, no, the Lord spoke. I do this all the time. I'll, I'll confess. The Lord will speak clearly. Maybe he'll speak through my wife or he'll speak through someone else and he'll make known. Now, this is what you need to do. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then we get over here and I feel a little pressure. I'm like, oh gosh, what do I do? And I'll start researching something or I'll start, you know what I mean? You guys know what I'm talking about. Am I the only one? And you know, some of you are like liars. <laughs> my God. Here's the fourth thing. We have to rely on what God reveals. And Daniel did. Are you able to make known to me the dream? Because in that moment, couldn't Daniel have went, oh my gosh, I hope that was really the dream. What if it was just the pizza the night before? You know what I mean? I mean, I received like this whole thing. I think I know his dream, but what if, what if? Because uh, uh, he could have gone, you know, um, while we're here, I was going to see if we could talk about, he could have done anything, but he jumps right in. Look what he says. Write that one down. Rely on what God reveals. I'm going to keep going for the sake of time. It jumps in and Daniel says, before the king says, as for the mystery, he didn't even hesitate. As for the mystery about what the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. Some translations even pose that as a question. Are not the wise men and conjurers able to do this? I love that he throws that in there. Oh, it's too bad. I don't know if he was mocking or not, but oh, the wise man can't, you know. <laughs> I don't think Daniel did that. That doesn't sound like Daniel. Daniel's much more couth than Tony Herring. He says, these guys can't do it, can they? He says, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. Remember, rely on what God reveals. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while you were on your bed. As for you, O king, while you were on your bed, thoughts turned to what would take place in the future. You didn't know that, but that's what this dream is about. And who reveals mysteries has made known to you what's going to take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man. He's saying, I'm telling you, this is not me. I'm going to tell you this, but it's not me. It's come for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that may you, you may understand the thoughts of your mind. And then we're going to pause, or we're, not pause, we're going to skip over the, the king's dream and the king's interpretation. And I might cover it another time. It's just really long and it gets into um, kingdoms that will reign later. And there's even a messianic portion, messianic prophecy about Jesus who will come and basically um, rule over all kingdoms. And so for the sake of time, we're not going to cover that. You understand why we're not going to cover that? 
But look at verse 45. Here's how he ends. He gives the dream. He gives the interpretation. And then verse 45, he says, The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. God's showing you something that's going to take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Now think about it. Daniel starts spouting out this dream. All these details, lots of details. That's why we didn't cover it. And then he gives the interpretation. And then this means this. And this is this um, country of rulers. And this is this. And he gets into all these details. You're telling me at some point Daniel wasn't like, have I lost my mind? (laughs) I'm saying all this stuff. I've lost my mind. He could even be getting lost in the craziness of what he's telling Nebuchadnezzar. And here's what popped in my mind today that is important for the remnant. Christ's church, the body of Christ, a faithful follower, when they face a crisis and they hear God move, uh, speak, they see him move, they do all these things, they return to God and praise, they rely on God, what, what God reveals, they move forward, it is important for them to remain faithful to God till the end. Amen. Notice when he gets through, he does a recap. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. To me, that's the first thing that jumped out. You know how important it is for us to just stay faithful till the end of the thing? And by thing, I mean the end of uh, our life here on earth, of course. We've been talking about that. But even the end of a crisis, remain faithful all the way to the end. Maybe it hasn't quite worked itself. You've been good, you've hung on, and it's not quite over. Do you know how many people give up just right there at the end? Remember the race series we did this summer? We talked about persevering till the end. We even talked about the kick and how you got to reserve some for the end. Because it's at the end when you really win the race. Even in a crisis, you guys, when something is just going bonkers, berserk, cray cray in your life, you have to persevere till the end of the thing. Remain faithful to God till the end. Hebrews 10, 23 says it this way. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We can be faithful to the end because he who promised is faithful. You hear what I'm saying? Are you picking up what I'm laying down? Good. So let's wrap this up. Verse 46 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. And if you know anything about the ancient rulers of that time, for them to do that is unheard of. Nebuchadnezzar literally flat on his face there before Daniel and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and a fragrant incense. So in a sense, King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to worship Daniel. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Verse 48, then the king promoted Daniel 
and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Now we're going to come back to that little portion of scripture right around Christmas time. I can't wait. The king promoted Daniel, gave him many gifts, made him the ruler over the whole province of Babylon, even made him the chief prefect over all those dumb wise men. And in verse 49 it says, And Daniel made request of the king. He asked if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his buddies, could also be in the administration. And they were. They were placed over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was in the king's court. The last thing is, when you're going through a crisis, remember we just said, remain faithful to the end. Remain faithful to God to the end. Why? Because there will come a time where you will receive your reward in full. Isn't that a great way to wrap up? You will receive your reward in full. There is a reward coming for those who remain faithful. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, But without faith, remember we talked about faith, request from God in faith. This whole thing's about faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I don't know, maybe this is just a lot of scripture, a lot of story, a lot of talking. But I'm hoping that this is six points of encouragement for some of you, all of you, all of us, because all of us will face trials, tribulations, and crises. But maybe you're going through a, a crisis right now and you're like, I'm wavering. I'm not holding fast to the confession of my hope. I'm, I'm wavering. And I'm not considered the one who is promised. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not um, responding in faith. I'm reacting with fear. It's very common, but it's not supposed to be for a child of God. We're not supposed to fear. That's not the spirit we've been given. Amen? We've been given the spirit of love, and power, and of sound mind. Not of fear. That timidity stuff, we're not supposed to carry that. Why? Because we serve the God of the universe. A God that can, you know... Show up a bunch of wise men from Babylon any day. The one who reveals mysteries. The one who can help us through that crisis all the way to the end. And he will because he promises he will. In this life you will, you will face trials and tribulations. But do not fret. Do not fear. Don't be anxious. Because I have overcome the world. This thing that you are facing I have actually already overcome it. You just need to walk this thing through to the end. What was our sermon in a sentence? A crisis doesn't make a man, but it will reveal who he is. I know I'm never going to be perfect through a crisis, but I sure hope that when I walk through one, I'll be a better man than I was through the last one.